Welcome to another episode of Run, Walk, Crawl. I'm actually talking a little bit quietly at the moment because I'm in hospital. Um, I've just had a radioactive dye injected as uh, I need to have another PET scan today to see how far cancer has progressed. Anyway, I'm meant to be lying here nice and quietly for an hour as the uh, tumours take up the radiation, so it should all be good. Fingers crossed. Had a great run this morning. Nice, easy 12k. But, without boring you with all those details, let's get in and listen to our interview with John Pearson, the most amazing long-distance, 24-hour track specialist. All right, here we go. Welcome to Run, Walk, Crawl, the podcast. Wow, what was that scraping in the background? Uh, natural wildlife, I think you'd call it. There's lorikeets and stuff going on, and the dog getting excited around them. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, joining us today is John Pearson. Now, uh, a quick story of myself meeting John. So, I met John uh, at Sherwood Forest, uh, I believe, many years ago now, probably, it'd have to be like eight years ago. Anyway, um, we were doing a warm-up, and uh, so I was running with John, and, and John was chatting like he will in a second or like I'm chatting now, and I was running flat chat and barely able to answer in single words. So that, uh, that's how we met, John. Oh, I'm glad you've, I'm glad you've recalled that one, mate, because I, I was quite intrigued when he said, I'll tell you how we met, because... I couldn't have pinpointed it as uh, directly as you did. <laughs> well, there you go. So uh, John's quite the ultra runner. Now, are you the um, or were you the captain this year for the 24-hour track championships, world champs? No, the no the captain this year was you and Horsburgh. So um, I had and handed over the armband to another worthy recipient. So I've had the honour on, I think, six occasions. Um, but uh, yeah, this time it was you, and I'm get, probably getting a bit long in the tooth, and they're looking at um, bringing you through the next generation, I imagine. Excellent. And uh, Worlds was in France this year. Yeah, that's right. In Albi, in uh, southern France. Yeah, a very well organised um, event. Unfortunately, can't always organise the smoothest of courses and the um, optimal weather, but that's what World Championship racing is all about, and it's. It's the same deal for everybody who rolls up. So yeah. Oh yeah, I was about to say that. Isn't that isn't that what ra- racing is? Racing is about turning up on the day, and then the day bringing whatever and everybody racing at the same time. Otherwise, we'd all just run optimum, wouldn't we? Yeah, that's right. And I think every time, particularly particularly a world championship event, you you roll up wondering exactly what you're going to get. Um, and obviously, they've got close to 400 runners on a one and a half to two k loop, so it can get a little bit intricate with a lot of twists, turns, and uh, other little things. And the logistics of the race, um, you know, they often find out any minor weakness that six and seven hour training runs don't. So you go in feeling fantastic, um, and it, you know, sometimes you have to get the shovel out for long periods of time just to get a result that you're satisfied with, let alone pleased with. <laughs> 
The joys. Thanks. The joys. So now, what? What? How far did you have to run this year to qualify for a twenty-four hour track? Like, what was the qualifying? Uh, was there a qualifying distance? Yeah, there are. There are three levels: two um, forties and A qualifier, two thirties a B, and two twenties a C. Uh, but then, so, so that's that's kilometres within 24 hours, so 240 kilometres. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, so obviously, then um, it, it, when I first started out, if you ran say 220 kilometres, which is just scraping a C qualifier these days, that that would have got you on the team very very comfortably and had people sticking nice gold badges on you as a superstar. Whereas these days. You're very nervous if you're only running around the 220s as to whether or not you will gain that selection for the team. Uh, the standards just grown and grown every year, particularly in the um, in, in the male side of the sport. And the females are rapidly catching us up now, which is fantastic. So yeah, the qualifiers are a minimum standard, and then you've obviously you can only select uh, a certain number of those qualifiers. We take uh, six or seven, do we normally in each team, or sometimes um, more, or sometimes need, less? Need, yeah, it always it always varies. Um, it varies on the amount of qualified athletes and the amount of, um, I guess, funding available on these championships. So normally we try and send teams of six. This year was the first time ever we sent a team of nine athletes. Um, so basically. In the last few days preceding the event, we have to select the six athletes that's going to be the scoring runners. Um, so they, the six that selected for scoring runners, they add up their top three distances, and that becomes the Australian total. Um, and then all nine athletes are actually representing Australia as individuals in the championships. So it gets can get quite technical and it can get down to um, a, a kilometre or two kilometres over 24 hours and three runners between nations as to who comes out on top or second or third, so to speak. And who did come out on top this year and then where did we rank if we didn't come uh, out the, on top, that is? <laughs> we didn't come out on top, unfortunately. Um, the Americans uh, dominated this year both male and female, some very strong running um, as regards consistency, the finishing amongst the members of the teams. Um, Australia came fifth, I believe. There was very marginal numbers between uh, fourth and sixth, um, and often provisional results need to be clarified because we are talking amounts of less than a kilometre sometimes between these places. so we had we had some outstanding individual performances, but um, unfortunately, other countries had more outstanding performances. So it's it, the standard is rising across the board. Every every championships we seem to see another level of performance appear. And uh, I guess a bit of a sideways question, like ultra running, uh, it seems to have gone from strength to strength over the last. I don't know. Twenty years. I've I've been involved now for at least fifteen, maybe a bit longer myself. Um, and yeah, the, the number of people participating and the the 
the quality of the field has, has gone through the roof. What do you reckon that is? What's made everyone suddenly, everyone's given up playing golf and started taking up ultra running? Look, it's a conversation um, I've had with a number of uh, other runners that are sort of know and also at sort of committee levels within the Australian Ultra Running Association of of how the, the boom sort of presented. And I think a key driver has been social media. Um, you know, when I first started, you'd roll up in a dusty old paddock at stupid o'clock and and run for a good 24 hours or something to cover 100 mile courses and things. And um, then you just go back to work on Monday morning, walking strange, and nobody knew. Um, you know, you did you, the bragging wall, as, as it could be called these days, is, you know, it's immense with all these social media platforms of everybody putting on what they've achieved. And it, it's enabled the general public to say, hey, well, you know, all of these guys don't look like Mo Farah or Usain Bolt. They're just normal guys come off the building site or out the office or wherever they've been on a Friday Avenue and gone down and really challenge themselves. Um, and I think that in itself has enabled people to take that next step up from the marathon that did used to be considered the Holy Grail. And plus the race directors now are doing an excellent job of promoting the races and um, getting a bit more back in at times, I guess, from local councils and um, that in itself is allowing them to create more exciting events. I just look around here at the Blackhall 100. That's uh, really well supported by Sunshine Coast Council. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's advertised in all the paper media as well as social media. So I think, yeah, I really do think that the, um, the social media is the, the main driver. And um, continuing on with that, where do you think this is going? Um, look, I, I imagine we will reach a saturation point at some stage. And, um, you know, we've, I guess I've seen that in some events myself where often the success of one event might sort of potentially cannibalise a smaller event. Um I, th I think we've probably reached a very good equilibrium at the moment with the number of events available and the number of people participating. Um, we want all of these events to be sustainable and, you know, we, we don't really want to see events dropping off the calendar. Um, but it, it is sad sometimes to see one of the old favourites drop off the calendar and um, you know, nothing... Nothing more so than the good old Coast to Kosciuszko, one of the premier iconic Australian ultra run events that sadly seems to have gone due to um, you know the red tape for the permits and such like. So, you know, we're constantly evolving as a sport, and I think um, that's credit to the race directors for putting in the effort and keep keep chasing to put these quality events on when the goalposts are constantly moving for them. Yeah. So to take us back a step backwards now, because we've kind of just jumped straight into to 24-hour stuff, but uh, you better introduce yourself and, and, and give us a bit of your uh, running history, because, uh, like, I know who you are, and, and certainly in the ultra-running circle, people know who you are, but who are you, John Pearson? Uh, well, basically, I'm just a... 
a guy who used to play a bit of football in the UK and um, we emigrated to Australia in my mid-20s and noticed that I wasn't as fit as I thought I probably could be and just started doing a bit of running. And after uh, probably 18 months of uh, doing half marathons and threw myself in at the deep end of the marathon, I, I noticed this ultra-running thing um which was a little bit more of a close shop back then not as many events and so i threw myself in at the 55k at the glaciers mountains trail run and very much a novice and um yeah certainly got everything handed to me on a on a plate about 30k not in a nice manner and, and struggled in uh, quite a humbling experience and but strangely enjoyable at the same time so it, and often if you fail at something it can really ignite a, a fire to improve that and yeah so i just gradually bit by bit just upped the distance and um yeah at, at some point um somebody suggested doing a timed event where you run uh, six hours and see how far you go which i thought was a novel concept and you know you're on the track together and whoever goes the furthest wins and so I had a go at that, which led to a 12-hour, which then led to a 24-hour, which I think I did about 186 kilometres from memory. And on paper, 200 kilometres seemed quite doable. And I thought I might have some little breaks in there and enjoy doing that. But um, it was a, you know, a really, really humbling and very life-changing sort of 24 hours, really, where you you got the highs, which were high, but then you got these lows that you, you, you know, you sort of don't normally get those lows so dynamically followed by another high. Um, and when when you hit those low patches and you come back up, it's almost like a, I guess it's like a the feeling people get when they take drugs, and it yeah, it really ignited a passion in me. And then I sort of pursued that 200k holy grail and. Um, basic just went from there as as i got further i seemed to be more competitive um and managed to make the first australian team in 2008 in seoul korea um and at that time i tried to grasp it with both hands thinking it might be the only time i got to represent my adopted country but fortunately you know it's happened uh, 11 times uh, now and as i said earlier i'm sort of the the old guy or the experienced member, if you want to put it more politically correct, of the <laughs> squad. And I, and I don't really think the running achievements or what you know what you go through and the highs and lows and everything else really will sink in until you can no longer do it the same and you just look back with a, a certain fondness. Um, often whilst we're doing these things, you do your event, you've got a recovery and the next mission's lined up and you've got to get on with it. So even after some of the, you know, more memorable results, you know, within three or four weeks that they're, they're gone, they don't matter. You're just on to whatever's next, the next challenge and enjoying that. When, uh, say, when, when you go, uh, Glasshouse, because that's a, I mean, that's, I think that that might even be the oldest ultra-running event in Australia, isn't it? Glasshouse? Because Ian, oh, I'm trying to think of his last name. Uh, Ian Jakes. Yeah. yeah, Ian Jakes put that together. I think it's the oldest 
um, the original 100 mile event. It's not yes, the actual oldest event. I believe it might be, somebody will probably correct me here, but it may be Bogong to Hotham has been around for as regards the ultras. But um, yeah, it's certainly the the original 24-hour event, which interestingly enough, I never got to run. I did the 100K numerous times, but um, got a bout of pneumonia three weeks out from the 100 mile when I entered. So the doctor wouldn't let me loose on that occasion. <laughs> so it's another well, one on the list. That's fair enough. Yeah, and it's not far from your place. So uh, these days. Um, so what year was that that you did the the fifty five? Uh, I think that was two thousand and one. Oh um, wow! Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I did the first marathon in two thousand, and then um, yeah, the year after I sort of stepped up and did that. And the first twenty four hours, two thousand and six. Excellent. And uh, now, when it comes to, to running, everyone has a running story. I have, a, I have quite a few uh, that I haven't told to uh, the general public as such that I, that I keep to yourself. But uh, what's a great running story, you know, the one that you tell when you're having a coffee with the new people that you're uh, either there to scare the, the bejeepers out of them <laughs> or... Um, to make them laugh one or two um, mate there's you know there's numerous little things that happen um and you know they're often shared in certain certain circles i mean you know one of the one of the funniest things that i've done personally is i was racing a commonwealth 24 hours in uh, in keswick in england so novel to go back there with my mongrel accent representing australia surrounded by the the poms <laughs> and my, my crew in person was also crewing for somebody else who got really ill. So I had to have a different crew. Um, and so the crew, she, she sort of spoke with a mixed accent as well as my mixed accent. So to say the language barrier was causing issues <laughs> is putting it mildly. I'd sometimes request something and the next lap sort of, it wouldn't always be there. And she'd say, oh, what did you say? And I said, look, if you don't hear me, just just give me anything because anything's better than nothing. That way I nothing. can keep moving. So about an hour later, you know, we've had one of my shouting back for what I'd like on my next feed. And so she's grasped what she thought I meant. So this nice cold water I was waiting for, couldn't wait to get round. Kilometre later, it comes round and grabs the cold water, pulls it over my head, only to find out it was Coke. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you get a lot of those. You get a lot of those stories. It could have been worse. It could have been the warm porridge that I got the next lap. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you get you get lots of little things like that, and you can really let them get to you. You can just laugh at them. Um, you know, it, it passed about five k's just having a shower with water every lap, trying to get this sticky stuff out of my hair and my eyes and everything. Um, you know, we've had we've had me up at Coast to Cozy before. And I've just got up to Charlotte's Pass, and I'm saying to the two boys who's running with me as crew, yeah, it's such a shame that the view's so, you know, limited with this fog. I normally see for miles, and I notice the faces sort of just alter, and they're looking at me, and they said, oh, it's, it's not foggy. And I lifted my sunnies up, and fog intensified. Jeez. Oh, so they just humoured me, and anyway, I started hallucinating, and I was seeing 
the snow gums became dinosaurs and I'm running along pointing out all these random animals and creatures that's now frequenting the snowy mountains. And that's a story I don't live down like the boys whenever they get together, they always make mention of the the lorax grass and the the dinosaurs in the trees. So you get all these little snippets that that pop up that get really told and talked about more than the actual results that you get really. So that's that sums up the sport. The results not really everything. It's the the journey, the experience and the highs and lows. Definitely. I totally agree with you on that one. Um, so my first experience doing glass house, I think was in 2007. And um, I did the 80 K in that event. And uh, I remember running out of aid station eight. And then all of a sudden there were like, 200 people running beside me and I'm like where did all these people come from and then they turned into black ghost-like figures and they ran with me until like 15 k's later and it was a very um humbling experience to have because I kept trying to close my eyes to get rid of them and I closed my eyes and it'd get worse so I'd open my eyes and at least I could kind of see the path but you know everything beside me was just these black wispy figures flying through the air and then they'd fly across in front of me and then you know and, and I'd, I'd try and stop to not hit them and uh yeah complete just mind making stuff up it was um yeah quite the experience i haven't had another one like that um i've managed to uh consume enough calories to uh <laughs> to keep that stuff at bay but yeah that was uh yeah it's hard it is hard to describe. I mean, I'd, I'd heard people going on about some of their hallucinations and w- wobbles out there, and you think, is it really that bad, or are they just exaggerating their stories? But to you, when you're in that moment, until you've got the sugars back up, it, it's all really real, and there's just that one part of you that knows you've got to get just keep going to get to that point, you know, and get to that finish line, and then you can just deal with these other things that's all going on around yeah yeah totally. i'm always funny out because uh I, you know i've had quite a few surgeries etc with with the cancer that i've got and um you know they put me on some wonderful drugs and i'm allergic to uh, a few painkillers so i get to get some of the the weird and wonderful painkillers and i've never had the hallucinations on those painkillers that I've had running. The running hallucinations always seem to be way better and way stronger. And um, you didn't need to take anything. You just needed to to keep going until you couldn't keep going, basically. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, we ought to give it the youth of today rather than letting them get on all this other stuff that they buy. But anyway. <laughs> well, it may be, I, I've certainly I've heard it said before to me that um, that running is for addicts who don't want to take something or don't drink. Um, if you take Probably. up running, that's that's the that's the thing to do. So uh, yeah, I I totally agree with that. For an addictive personality, running is definitely a uh, a good pursuit. So a cleaner pursuit maybe. So yeah. um, now. So is it we uh, do you have any sponsors? 
Uh, yes, yes. I've been very fortunate um, over the years to build some good relationships with some good people. Um, so, yeah, obviously the body's an important thing, and if you can keep the body on the road, um, then you've got more chance to get in better results. So um, up here on the Sunshine Coast, I've used Dean for the massage from Vitality Options, and he's supported me for a number of years now, and uh, Matt over at... Um, Advanced Health, he's the osteo is always putting the carcass back into position when I bring it back battered and bruised. And then product-wise, um, obviously Jason, who you know over at Internet, um, then provides the fuel to get out there and do all of these things. Must put a caveate in there. To, so be quite, to be quite honest, I'm trying for the first time um, while we're recording this podcast, the... Uh, new thing from infinite which is the cold brew and um it's not bad not as it's not as good as my pre-made mix or my custom made mix but um as as far as a drink goes it's all right anyway yeah, sorry I, keep I mean, going yeah like i um like with jason's mix I, I find it fantastic that i can adapt it for races like in taiwan where the minimum temperature you know you Mid nights, it's 30 degrees and 100% humidity, and you just can't get cool. So, you, the sodium and electrolytes you, you're losing is just phenomenal. So, you can really boost them up with Jace's mix. And then, likewise, the races at cold temps where that's not an issue, you can drop them back. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic for that. As long as you know, as long as you as an individual can can enjoy getting it down here, then it's, it's well worth the go. So, yeah, Jace has been uh, supporting me for a couple of years. Um, yeah, Suntel's been kind enough to give me a new uh, watch with a battery that lasts longer than me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to um, say, that, that is a problem once you start to go long, is you, you, you start to work out, how can I recharge my watch on the go so that I can keep running and it can keep recording data? Yeah, look, I've, I've seen people trying to run qualifiers for 24 hours and they're faffing around, attaching cords to the phone and carrying a battery pack just so they can have it there and download it on Strava as a, you know, like it's, it could have been that 1K faffing where you're strapped and carrying the battery that got you not qualifying. So I'm a bit of a, if the watch decides it doesn't want to play, then yeah, I don't, you know. I've, I've been known to get up and put the watch on the wrist the morning of a championship only to find that I didn't switch the socket on. Battery power's at 15%, so I don't even bother wearing it. It's, you know, so, um, but yeah, so I've had assistance there. And then obviously um, my club in training, I've been running within training since 1999. That sounds really good, doesn't it, the last century? Um, it does sound good. Yeah, and I, I just joined there. Um, with my wife at the time, pre kids, and you know, we went down to speed work, and I didn't even know what speed work was. 10Ks was about my limit, and step by step, I sort of made cross country teams and bits and pieces within training and did the road relay. And so, yeah, I've been running with them for a number of years and obviously moved on to coaching within training when I lived in Brisbane for about five years as well. So, yeah, it's just this sort of nice when you bring the in-training singlet on and run along and, you know, people are recognising you just by your singlet. Obviously, um, 
I can't wear that when I'm doing these ultras and got the Australian one on. So sometimes you think, oh, it's a shame that in training where it all started, never get recognised in in the big championships. But that's just how it is. So, but yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of people as well as sponsors that's been sort of important in the running journey. Obviously, you know, your wife and your family are there for you, as you'd know how that works. And um, you don't realise what impact you have. My kids think it's relatively normal. For They wonder why the dads don't go running 50 and 60K. You know, like it's normal. <laughs> it's normal for it, all my mates uh, sort of into it. You know, we, if I go on holiday somewhere, often it will be getting up early and the missus picks me up 50K down the road to get it out of the way and then we carry on. So to the kids, that's that's normal. Um, here's a, one of the funny stories for you uh, that you mentioned earlier, funny stories. We moved to a new area when we moved to Coolum and the kids were doing show and tell and it came to my son, my middle son. He said, oh, was it Caboolture all weekend, miss? Um, my dad did a 48-hour race. The teacher says, okay, Eddie, that's a long way, 48 kilometers. He said, no, he did a 48-hour race. He said, okay, Eddie, sit down. Don't be silly. He said, no, he ran for 48 hours, and he, he gets quite, shall we say, opinionated if somebody's telling him he's not telling the truth. So he starts saying it was 340K this and that. And she told him in front of the whole class that people can't run that fast to sit down or he'd be on break time detention. So I picked him up from school, and he was livid. <laughs> so needless to say, we had to go online and print some pieces of paper out so he could let his teacher know. But I said, look, just take him in quietly and let the teacher know. So after that, she uh, she never doubted his colourful stories that he brought in every two or three months. Yeah, certainly uh, with working with kids for years, justice is a, uh, a fundamental part of, of being a child. And um, when stuff like that is questioned, I, I, I can think of a story myself straight out of school from when I was at school where I got sent to the headmaster's office for questioning somebody on what they said. And, uh, yeah, the facts eventually turned out in my favour. But, yeah, at the time, it, the same sort of – it's just justice. People uh, – kids especially like justice up until they're sort of 13, it's... 14, 15, um, maybe even a little bit older, and then, you know, more grey comes in, which is a bit sad, but I guess that's reality. Yeah, and it, it just really knocked it on to me, I guess, as a parent as well. It was the first time I sort of sat back and realised how absurd it actually sounded. Um, yeah, of course, your dad went out and ran 340Ks, ran in circles all weekend, in culture of all random places. Yeah, everybody does that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 but, you know, the, ki- the kids think it's normal. They, they love it and, you know, we do. We do park run and have fun together on most weekends, and you know it's just part of our life now. So, and, and I touched on the family. The other thing is your running mates. Like some of these events, I couldn't do without the running mates. Like Costa Kosciuszko, yeah. Try asking somebody to pull out of work for a couple of days and sit in a car and drive 240 k's behind somebody who's running from the beach to the top of Australia through all sorts of weather, like hailstorms bailing down with rain, then poor sods are getting out of the car and they can't sleep. Um, 
you know, so you really do need good mates, good support mechanisms, um, and just the training runs with people just to break the monotony. It's not the events, I think, are just a focus. It's the, the build-up, you know, the, the excitement, the planning. The events are just, they're just the end game. Um, if it goes well, great. If it doesn't, you've just got to keep it in perspective that you've chosen to do it. You know, if it was easy, you wouldn't have chosen it. And if it goes wrong, well, why did it go wrong and enjoy trying to make it right next time? Yep, totally. It's, uh, it goes wrong a lot. And sometimes you can fix it while you're out there and, and sometimes you just can't. So uh, you then have to sit back and go, yeah, how, how, what do I need to take or what do I need to do so that thing that went wrong doesn't go wrong next time? Um, that's right. And that's why we do the that's why we do the training rooms. I mean, just leading into France, I did a training room with a mate of mine, Dan Simmons, who was always also on the team. And I remember saying about four and a half hours in, how great I was feeling. It was way better than the one we'd done two weeks before. And then at about five and a quarter hours, I'm saying, we're going to have to have a little walk here, mate. I'm feeling a bit woozy. And now I got to about 60K of the planned 67K, and I'd, I'd gone, I was going dizzy. I was feeling sick. Thought I'm going to have to just give this away. And I said, Look, mate, sorry, you're going to have to carry on. I'll just rest here. Come and fetch me in the car. Um, and it, just a little simple mistake. I'd run a bit dry in an area where there was no water and thought I'll, I'll hold a bit back in case I need it later. And it was a hot day, a bit of sun stress. And, but he went off and carried on with his run because I didn't want to ruin that. And I just carried on walking up the road trying not to look like I needed assistance from the old ladies looking at me. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I just ducked into a servo and got a frozen Coke and came out. I thought, I don't feel as bad now. I'll try running. And I, I ran the next 3K back to the car and felt really good. So that run was probably more rewarding than any of the training run because I had felt like that was it, that I'd overcome it. And it only took probably about 20 minutes which sounds a long time, but I was still walking in that time. Um, and if you have to sacrifice 20 minutes to turn a 24-hour race into a from a DNF to a, yeah, I got back going again, that's well worth it. So all these little things that come your way, they're all there to be learned from. you just got to slow it down, not panic, just think of ways forward and just just keep moving forward. Yeah, it's uh in my last long race, I had uh, two people crewing me that hadn't crewed me before. And um, I said, look, if it gets to the stage where you think I need to pull out, uh, because sometimes I have a tendency to push a little bit too far and I don't want to end up in hospital with my surgeon and my oncologist having a go at me and never giving me permission to run again. So um, I said, look, if it gets to that stage where you think you know, he's not looking good, I just said, let me have a sleep, all right, before you cut my band off and, you know, hand it in. Let me let me have a sleep first. I never got to that stage, thank goodness, but, um, yeah, it, uh, nice. doing last man standing, and I just had, like, four-minute sleeps, and that made the biggest difference ever. It was just like – it was it, seriously, it felt like I'd had a 12-hour rest, just this little four-minute yeah, block of sleep. Just breaking, just breaking the – monotonous cycle sometimes um 
I think it was only in my second or third 24, like at world level. And I, I was having a real wobble. And one of the other uh, rides, one of the runners, an experienced crew, just said to my crew, get him in here and lay him down. And I'm, I'm near on in tears. Like, I don't want to come off. Leave me. And they got the big hook and they laid me down. They said, just laying down flat on your back for five minutes. They slipped my shoes off, put an ice pack on my neck, rubbed my feet. It was five minutes. Then they sat me up, can of Coke, put my shoes on, gave me some cream rice. I said, walk a lap and then start running. And not only did it resurrect my race, I went went up from being about 100th in the race, I think, to about finishing 28th. Um, and I would have never done that before. You know, it was just experienced crew saying, get yourself in. You just need a reset. Again, 10 minutes. And it saved the race and turned it into a good race. So definitely worth just having that assessment and slowing it down. And, and often most problems can be fixed by just walking it out, just allowing the body to get the heart rate down and start processing the backlog of foods that's just stuck in there and, if you're willing to be patient and just walk it out and give it 20 minutes off an hour, you can often then just gently get moving again. And an hour later, you're moving really well. And you might not have a bad patch for hours and hours after that. So, yeah, definitely a, a thing to stick in the back of the mind the next time you hit the brick wall. Definitely. So uh, you've mentioned Coast to Cozzy a number of times. How many times have you done Coast to Cozzy? So I'll just, I'll just say... Coast of Cozzi is a 225-kilometre road race that got cancelled last year due to not getting permission to cross um, the Pacific Motorway or Pacific Highway. Uh, I, think it's the, due... I think it's the Monaro Highway. Is it the Monaro? Yeah. Okay, think, so I didn't get yeah. permission to cross the Monaro um, Highway, and, and it just – it would have got permission, but the, the cost to get permission – was so expensive that everyone would have had to have paid like five or six thousand dollars to for an entry, which is just ridiculous. I'm not sure of the ins and outs of it. Gosh, um, I believe it, it all got sprung on the race directors far too late to get the new paperwork across the line. Um, right, it's 240k by the way. If I don't correct you on that, I'll get. Oh, okay. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it did become very prohibitive of putting the race on when you consider that it is a, a field of capped at only 50. So Yeah, it's a, it's a tiny field and to have to, yeah, um, to deal with and that. It can, just... be, it can be spread out. Um, there can be under a K between the first and last runner, I imagine, by the time, you know, by the time somebody's touching the finish line, there could be somebody else not even got close to Jindabyne or just getting into Jindabyne, which is a good, I think, 8K away from memory or something like that. So, yeah, it's a logistical challenge, that race, and it was done so smoothly without ever having a problem at all um, with the change in where we're living, where we're all sort of wrapped in cotton wool, I guess. So... Uh... So that that race, like I said, it's been it's been canned now. How, how many times did you do it? Uh, did it four, I think. I think yeah, four, four. times. Awesome. Said as I glanced at that, counting the things. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
you get a pin, you get a, a Kubra and a hat pin, um, and then each subsequent race, you you get a pin. Um, yeah, so sort of instead of strategically placing them, so I could have three down each side, and now I've got three down one side and one on the other. So I might have to rejig that now. So. Well, there you go. Well, hopefully, hopefully that race gets somehow resurrected. Uh, it might be a while before it does, but hopefully it does. Um, have, have you run multi-day races? No, I've only done a um, 48-hour, uh, which technically is, although it's multi-day, I guess, um, it's not. there's a difference with the multi-days as sort of stage races, which are a very different beast to like a 48-hour or realistically the 72-hour or the six-day, 10-day events, which are, you know, real multi-day races. I didn't know 10-day events. I thought yeah, six yeah. days was the more common one. But no, there is, is, a is there ten, a 10-day event in Australia? No, no, there's one in no, New York. Um, yeah, and then there's the ultimate um, mission of madness, which is a 3,100-mile race in New York. As yeah, well. around the block. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good point to point putting that one on, wouldn't it? Five thousand k. Oh, that's just well, that'd be across Australia. Yeah, they'd literally be running from one side to the other. Um, I mean that, that's that's one of those crazy races when you read it where they go, yeah, we set the limit at eighteen hours a day because we knew that the runners would just try and go non-stop. And it's just like, yeah, that's the mindset of the because this I think there's was there fourteen that started this year. Yeah, around that they don't get they don't get huge numbers, and and I think that event is a event where the mind needs to be optimally conditioned more than the body, really, because it becomes apparent that about ten days in they go through a mind and body experience, and then just become at one with the challenge that's ahead of them. Um, and it, it's just about acceptance, I think. Yeah, it's a long it's a long way, and it's a long time. And just doing the same block, yeah, it's certainly be like Zen type yep. moment. You'd like to do that? Um, look, I think that'd drive me a bit mad that one. Um, but you know, never say never. You might find yourself with a lot of time on your hands. But um, no, I, I, the six days sort of does keep grabbing my eye. Um, but I do think that once you sort of start stepping up to the six day, it's a whole. It's a whole new ball game, and you have to make a lot of sacrifices. Um, and also, then, will you ever get back to being able to do what you want to do over the shorter stuff as well? Is another another issue which I've noticed. Sometimes people move into that realm and don't quite, you know, it sort of keeps them in that realm. They can't go back to running a bit faster and having fun at the shorter stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to attempt my first um, sort of multi-day type stage race next year. Um, oh, yeah, which so, one are you doing? Uh, it's one called Himmel 2020. Oh, the one up through, yeah. Now, does that go mm. over the pass, the highest pass? Um, it, um, starts, it starts uh, at Everest Base Camp. So I've not, I've just sort of outed it here now. A few mates knew I was doing it, but I hadn't really put it out there too much um just wanted to get worlds out of the way so there you go you got an exclusive on that one ash but, um, 
He stops. Exclusive uh, here on run, walk, crawl. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and there'll probably be a lot of walk and crawl involved in this one. <laughs> um, so it, it's organised by a combination of the main organising team are from France in conjunction with a mob called Base Camp in Kathmandu. So it's really funny if you was a details man, you'd probably have had a heart attack by now. Like, so some of the details I'm trying to, or I'd like to know, are just not really forthcoming. He keeps putting little maps up and such like. Um, but there's not a lot of detail on the length of the stages, more in the fact that, yeah, you're starting at 4,900 metres, you're going to drop down to 2,300 and finish at 4,200. But it doesn't say how long that stage is in kilometres. Um, right. So basically the race is described as 900 plus kilometres and you in a 24-day time frame with, I think, 45,000 metres of elevation and descent. Um, wow. With a seven-day acclimatisation trek up to Everest Base Camp um, preceding the race. So it's definitely into the unknown. So I've got to have uh, – you've got to be self-sufficient pretty much. Um, or there was an option to pay a couple of grand, three grand, I think, for a Sherpa. But I think if you're doing these sort of things, you might as well just do them. Um, so I'll be my own porter for this one. So there's so many aspects of this race that I'm clueless about, uh, which may be a good thing. It may not be a good thing. Uh, yeah, so I just basically contacted the race director after seeing this event in 2017 it's run every three years and i didn't tick 50 percent of the boxes um, i haven't raced at altitude i've not done the ultra tour mont blanc type races because it's just too far away i've not done stage races so there's all these tick boxes that i'm putting crosses in and then i sent it in um just with a link to my sort of duv file online that's got all your learning history um and then surprisingly he sent one back saying i think you'll be fine um we'd like to invite you in so then i'm like oh Mm. i best ask the wife now (laughs) 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 yeah burnt a bit of dinner and trapped the wife till burnt dinner that night said hey look i've done your dinner and everything how's how's about this and she said yep off you go so for me this is a a bit of a once-in-a-lifetime sort of chance to go and experience all the wild Himalaya from Everest Base Camp to Annapura Base Camp. So obviously the two base camps will have a little bit more going on around them. But then once you're in between there, it's going to be pretty pretty unreal and there'll be a bit, bit of solitude there. And a bit like Costa Cozy, there's only 50 uh, runners accepted. So small niche type event um so yeah it'll be it's something to see how it unfolds and hopefully i just get to take part in every stage and finish every stage and not get too much deli belly and all the things that come with sort of unhygienic practices and things like that um because there's so many more things that's out of your control that we normally you know you're going to be drinking water and filtering it you're going to be eating whatever food you can get, lentils and rice, wherever you can get it, which 
it might have been prepared a little bit dodgily, but if if you don't eat that, you don't eat nothing. So, yeah, it should be an interesting challenge. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the acclimatisation phase, do you know uh, in that seven days, are they going to walk you up to base camp and then walk you back down to the tree line and then walk you back up again? I've or no you're idea. Sure. You're not sure? Okay. No. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, we was told we'll be getting more in-depth information some stage um, in December. So, But right. I, I believe we've, we've just pretty much got, I think, six days to acclimatise. Um, and obviously, for me, that's going to be the biggest unknown. Because it, yeah. it doesn't discriminate. You know, you can get yourself as fit as you want to try and make, make it not feel as bad, but it doesn't discriminate. Um, and it seems that most people who've done even the shorter six and ten day type events up there have suffered from gastric, you know, gastro problems like at least once or twice. So these are all things that's going to just be out of your control to a degree that you just got to manage the best you can with whatever you're presented with. Um, and obviously trying to run, walk or crawl. <laughs> The uh, allotted distance between A and B each day is going to be dependent on whether or not some of these factors are sort of presenting themselves on the day, I think. Yeah. And where, which month is that in? Uh, we start on May 3rd and we end up at the end of May, hopefully. I, I like the fact that when I asked him what day I should book the flight back, he said I'd give... I'd give yourself another two or three days window just in case we need it. Um, so I think it's a constantly evolving event. Uh, well, just in yeah. case there's any falls or avalanches or whatever else is going on up there, and they need um, you know you need different different routes that might add a day or two. It's certainly be the first event I've ever done where I have to carry an alpine helmet and three meters of rope. So. <laughs> that's always a worry it's you know it's going to get fun when you uh when they say to carry a harness and stuff that's for sure well they, they in didn't a, mention in a running that. race <laughs> maybe they're just throwing in the washing out mate it could be it could that's very true you take take 11 millimeter rope to uh hang the washing <laughs> out hey? that's pretty full on that's for sure so Wow. Well, that's probably a good spot to to leave it is uh, sort of dangling there. I think we'll have to get you back on after that race to talk about whatever happened during that event. So, yeah, I, uh, might, I, I think that'll be amazing. Might have a replacement for the funniest stories there, eh? <laughs> you, you, you certainly might have a replacement for the funniest stories at that point in time. That's for sure. That sounds... Um, amazingly exciting i think uh i I remember reading about a race uh, a couple of years ago that's held in i think it's held in alaska and um it takes about a month for that particular race and uh the guy who was writing the story he went to sleep facing one direction and he woke up facing another direction and so in the morning he ran the direction he woke up instead of checking his stuff. And so he ended up running back a day and then had to catch it back up. 
days. Maybe so, that's a, a good reminder to oneself for me. That might be a priceless tip. <laughs> it could, it could be. When when I read that in the, you know, like that was his introduction to the book as such, and uh, it was just like, oh wow, like how to do a race and and wreck yourself. It's it, see, you said it took like seven days mentally to get over making that mistake during the race. Right. So uh, yeah. Done well to just just carry on and finish it after something like that, but you know. Oh yeah, be full on. Yeah, well, I'll certainly uh, look forward to uh, letting you know how it went. Anyway. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's. Uh, well, thank you. I've, I've learnt a lot, and uh, hopefully our listeners have learnt a lot too. Um, and you hang out on the Sunshine Coast these days, so. If you see someone out running, you know, at six o'clock at night and then you see them again the next morning, they've probably been going all night and that'd be John. (laughs) It'd probably be a safer bet than running in this heat at the moment, mate, that's for sure. Oh, I can't believe it when uh, I I, I messaged a friend who lives down at Boona and she started running at 9am and it was like, are you crazy? And and, uh, yeah. She she sent me another photo of her at the end of 20Ks and she literally looked like she had been baked. So uh, I got my run in way early this morning because it was just, there was no way I was going to go out in this heat. No, it's, a, it's just the old case of getting it done when you can, though, I guess. And if you've got kids and stuff like that, you, you do all your running around and then you look at the clock and say, oh, my turn now, but it's 9 o'clock and 35 degrees. That's yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Always, it will always come in handy for a warm race. That's is exactly right. At the end of the day, it does prepare you for it. Races start at whatever time they they start at, and sometimes they start at crazy o'clock, and other times stupid o'clock. So um, yeah, every so often they start at the right time for us, but uh, it seems to be rare. Oh, mine races. Mine usually start at a very good time. It's just they seem to go all day, so I get all the bits anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good way of looking at it. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, John. And uh, uh, Thanks we'll, again, uh, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Run, Walk, Crawl with John Pearson. An amazing guy. I'm sure you'll uh, agree after listening to a few of his stories there. And uh, thanks, John, for letting the cat out of the bag about next year's big race. If you're enjoying listening to uh, Run, Walk, Crawl, please leave a positive review. And uh, make sure you subscribe. Well, that's it for this week. I uh, look forward to chatting with you guys again next week. Thanks very much for tuning in again. In the meantime, enjoy your run.